You're listening to the Detox and Chill podcast with Megan Dillon and Beck Benyon. We're two millennial women in the corporate world juggling wellness and a fast-paced lifestyle. On this podcast, we're breaking down wellness into digestible episodes that fit into your weekly routine. We're on this journey with you, learning from wellness and lifestyle experts in their fields. From our lighthearted banter, what's the appropriate amount of time to go between shaving our legs? To getting deep about everyday struggles like hormones, societal norms, and gut health, we're your podcast besties. Disclaimer, no late night text needed to detox and chill. We're back. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Happy Tuesday. Can you believe it's three weeks I was until... almost like, wait, it's not Tuesday. <laughs> no. Okay. Never met. <laughs> it's three weeks until Don and I moved to California. I can't believe. It's insane. As Jonathan Van Ness would say. Can, can you, you believe? believe? No, I can't believe. I haven't I accepted it. it yet. No. I'll be taking interviews from new friends in Boston. I'll help you with the application. <laughs> so we've been sharing, you know, some cringeworthy yes. work stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just had this memory, this recovered memory of what I've had many embarrassing work mm-hmm. stories. I feel like if you're in the corporate world, yeah. there's like those growing pains. Um, but yeah, so mine, we, for when I used to work at the place I used to work, we would travel a lot. Um, and we had gone to Rochester, New York, mm-hmm. and we were in this giant office building. And to kind of set the scene, the office was super old. So like floors were creaky, mm-hmm. like doors were sticky. Like, it just wasn't the nicest. Mm-hmm. Definitely a little worse for the wear. <laughs> so we were in this giant group meeting. I was, like, not the youngest, but mm-hmm. I was definitely, like, one of the younger bunch. And because I drank so much water, I was, like, dying, and I really had of to pee. Course, yeah. So I get up, and I'm like, I'm going to just casually sneak out this door. No problem. Oh, no. <laughs> so the door sticks so hard this is in the middle of someone else presenting asking questions (laughs) i'm trying to yank this door open i can see it now at a certain point i was like well i guess i'm stuck here forever so i just silently walked away and (laughs) sat back down oh my god it was mortifying and everyone on my team would never let me live that down but i was just like anyone laugh My senior manager did. But other than that, like, everyone just kind of, like, continued on. And I was like, like, don't "Ah." look at the girl. Don't look at the girl. What is she doing? But I still really have to pee. How long were you in the meeting after that? I was, I don't even remember, but I was staying no matter what. I was like, (laughs) I will not get up again. No. Oh, that's bad. That's rough. Yes. I always, like, have that fear if I have to leave a meeting to, like, go to the bathroom, if I'm going to, like, trip or I'm going to, like, make a loud noise. Like, that's definitely a fear. Oh, the struggle was so real. Oh, it's so... Well, welcome back, guys. We're so excited you're tuning into this week's podcast. 
Um, This week we have Darby Jackson on the podcast and we're so excited. Um, She's actually someone that we had the pleasure of meeting at our event in LA this past June and um, she is the co-founder of Drink Apres, which is an amazing um, protein drink that you can have after a workout or really any time at all. So thank you so much, Darby, for being here tonight. We're so excited to learn more about your story. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. I love that in your Instagram profile, it says protein sommelier. That makes (laughs) me so happy. Same. (laughs) It makes me really happy too. You wouldn't believe how long it took us to design this product. Our formulation team kept telling us we were working on the edges of food science. I mean, never before has anyone combined plant protein with coconut oil and coconut water and coconut oil, coconut oil is solid at room temperature. So getting that to emulsify in a beverage is really very difficult, especially without any additives or crazy amounts of sugar or anything like that. Right. Yeah. That's insane. So I think protein sommelier is right on point. Um, So I'm going to call you that from now on and try and think of other things I can incorporate sommelier into because there's water sommeliers. Water sommelier? Yeah. I feel like there's sommeliers for everything. I know. Wow. Okay. I I think I'm also a tortilla chip sommelier. Oh, I would love to be a tea sommelier. I think that would be so fun. I love tea. Yes. I don't even know. There's so many foods. I would, <laughs> I would go in. Um, so anyway, so welcome to the podcast. Um, like we said, we're so excited to have you here. So um, Darby, can you just kind of start out by telling us um, how you got into this business, um, where you started? Was this something that you always dreamed of doing or did it kind of just happen? So give us all the details on that. Sure. So to start, we should go really far back to my childhood. So I I grew up with entrepreneurial parents. So entrepreneurship was always a huge part of my life. And I think that started that started in kindergarten. So my parents actually put my sister and I in a Spanish immersion school to start. So my first language reading and writing is actually in Spanish. So Everything was in Spanish, math, science, like PE outside, everything. So funny enough, I actually never wrote an essay in English until I got to high school. Whoa, <laughs> um, that's crazy. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Orange County. So not, yeah, nothing crazy. Um, but my parents were very forward thinking and saw how important it was or thought it was really important for my sister and I to speak two languages. And so starting in kindergarten, they put us in this immersion program and I hated it to start because it made me really different from all of my peers that I was playing soccer or sports with. But over time, I, once I got into high school and then eventually college, I saw how incredibly valuable it was, but that I had a really different upbringing from that perspective. And then I also was, I'm a Capricorn, so I'm naturally just, I'm very, um, I'm very motivated almost to a fault. Um, it's easy for me to put my head down and focus. And when I have a dream or a goal, I just, like I set my mind to it and it's a little bit crazy, but growing up, I, I played water polo. And so I, my goal was always to go to the Olympics. So everything in my life revolved around playing water polo and training to get to the Olympics. 
So I was constantly practicing and traveling. I was lucky enough to be on um, the women's junior national team and even at times play with the national team and travel the world, which was really very cool. And I played at UC Berkeley for a little while as well. Um, But that just made me be hyper, hyper focused too on the way that foods affected my body. Mm -hmm. And I was diagnosed with celiac my freshman year in college. And I, I had never really thought about the foods that I put into my body before that. I, it was just basically food is fuel. I'd eat an entire box of cereal as a snack. Um, it was just next level <laughs> amount of calories that I was ingesting. And so having been diagnosed with celiac, I really started to nerd out on just, you know, what was going to help me with my performance. I'm tra- traveling internationally. How do I get enough protein? And, um, then about two years into college, I stopped playing water polo. I realized that I, I didn't have a, life, have a life and I had missed out on so many wonderful experiences. And this quote unquote obsession with food turned a little bit negative for a while. So you can imagine as a girl that's playing water polo, I was, I'm, I'm 5'11", so I'm already really tall, but I was really muscular and very, very fit, but really big. Um, I was, you know, deadlifting over 200 pounds and just my life was athletics. So Mm -hmm. after I stopped playing water polo, I joined a sorority and I felt this immense pressure to look a certain way, meaning I felt, I felt like I needed to lose weight. And so I started to really obsess over food and calories and how that affected my body. And it became something very negative for quite some time. Um, over time though, I, I started to read more about wellness and how food isn't just about calories in calories out, but it's really about your sleep and your stress and it's wellness is an all encompassing lifestyle. And I started to really take that to heart. And that long story short, took me to get my health coaching and personal training certification and I started my own practice in San Francisco where I worked one-on-one mostly with women and I helped them repair their relationship with food and their body. So again, it wasn't, you know, Hey, I want you to drink kale smoothies all day and work out seven times a week. That doesn't make sense from a lifestyle perspective. It was instead, let's look at what we can do to help you be healthy while at the same time, recognizing that there are nights when you're going to go out and have a glass of wine with girlfriends or eat cake at a birthday party. Um, so that's what I was doing before I started or before Sunny and I started up pray. Um, Sunny, my co-founder actually found me about three years ago. He had the original idea for Raw Prey, which was to create a, a protein drink that was geared towards women. And his fiance had followed me as a health coach in San Francisco and said, hey, you know, I know this girl named Darby. Um, why don't you pressure test this, this protein drink idea with her and see if there's a market and see if she can help. So we sat down for coffee a little over three years ago. And within the first couple minutes of him explaining this idea to me, I said, the number one question I get from all of my clients is what do I have after I work out or the clean on the go snack? And I just didn't have, I didn't have a clean and convenient recommendation for them. This isn't the customer that is taking, you know, protein powder and water and shaking it up as they walk out of an Equinox class Mm -hmm. and not drinking the other just sort of bulk and bicep protein drinks on the market. 
So we just saw this really big opportunity, but the bigger opportunity that, that I personally really saw, and this ties back to my life as a water polo player, as an athlete, and then dealing with food and body image struggles after that, was I felt like the protein world had for years always spoken to women, especially very negatively. So whether it was saying that, that, you know, protein should be a meal replacement, protein drink should be a meal replacement, um, that you need to look a certain way. All of the advertisements had women in them that um, didn't have very approachable body types. And I felt like there was an opportunity for us to really change that. To your point, that's so true. There's not really, I mean, there wasn't really, um, a drink out there that wasn't a meal replacement. I, I look back to high school and college and playing sports and all of that. And there wasn't anything, you know, that was a good kind of after workout snack that wasn't marketed towards men. I mean, I grew up with brothers and they always would, you know, have their random protein shakes and like all of these things. And like what was put in my head was like, if you're, if you're drinking protein or having protein, you're going to bulk up and you're going to look big and like, you're not going to look anymore. And like, that was the story that I was told, you know, even to a few years ago. And I think, um, even like my mom's generation, my parents' generation, they still believe that. Mm -hmm. And it's just so crazy how many different stories are out there about such a simple macronutrient that we all should be having. Exactly. There's a there's a lot of work to be done around changing that narrative. And so that's something that we feel it, it ties into my background. It's something that I feel really passionate about and it kind of aligns with my mission as a human. So while it's really exciting to create this really healthy, clean drink, it's really about a lot more than that. Totally. Um, and I'd love to I, I kind of want to take a step back because I feel like this sounds like a pretty pivotal point in your journey. So you were, you know, so committed to water polo for so long. Um, what was the turning point in college that kind of made you take a step back and decide to leave that all behind? It's a good question. It was, it was really complex. It was a number of things. Um, I was really burned out. I, I had missed my prom, my high school graduation. Um, I, I hadn't been able to spend as much time with my friends. At the time in college, our coach wasn't letting us join a sorority. And it just, it kind of dawned on me one day that I needed to start living my life. But even more broadly, there were some, there was a lot of turmoil on the team at the time. And I'll try my best to kind of put this eloquently, but um, I just felt as though the team and like the girls on the team were being treated really unfairly by the coaching staff. And um, a couple girls and I decided to make a statement and stand up and say that this, this wasn't appropriate and we didn't feel comfortable. And we quit the team as a statement of like, this isn't cool. And if the three of us on the national team like quit, we would definitely be saying something and there's no way that the leadership um, from a coaching perspective wouldn't change. And unfortunately it didn't change. And so I had two options. I had an option to stay at Berkeley and, you know, continue my education there without playing water polo, or I could transfer and play somewhere, somewhere else. So the two girls that did that with me 
um, ended up transferring. One went and played professionally in Europe, and then another one transferred to another Division One school and ended up playing there. And after a lot of soul searching, I just I decided to stay. And it was really difficult because my like I said, my life had revolved around water polo, and it was a very abrupt ending, and not on terms that I really wanted. Um, and I cared so deeply about all the girls on the team. And we were all so committed to winning and had a team that, you know, had a chance of winning a national championship. Mm-hmm. And um, that I had to, that was really difficult. And I think that's what, that's why I leaned into sort of controlling everything that I would put into my body because I felt like everything else in my life was pretty out of control. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about the mental space that you were in through all of that, because I feel like as a, in your early 20s, your mental space is so volatile with everything going on around you, with all the changes that are happening, especially this major change in your life of quitting something that, you know, you have had been doing for so many years, and it was your life. And like you said, you missed out on so many things. So, you know, for me, I feel like I would question almost everything. So how did you get through that? It was really difficult. I I went to therapy a lot. That was great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm a big advocate for that. I I met my husband at the time. Um, So I met my husband when I was 20 and we've been together for 10 years now. And he was phenomenal throughout that process. Um, And then I really, I, I really started to get into the to the world of wellness. And back then it was still a little bit hippy dippy and, you know, carrying around crystals or meditating was definitely not a cool thing to be doing. Yeah. But one modality that I really leaned into was Reiki. So I had been practicing Reiki. Reiki is like a hands-on healing. Yeah. And I had started practicing that when I was about 15 and I didn't really understand what it was, but my mom was seeing this wonderful Reiki master that I still see today. And all I knew was that I'd go see her and then I'd go play a water polo game and I'd have like the best game of my life. So I didn't really know like what was happening, but something was working. And so when I was going through this really tumultuous time, I started to talk to her often on the phone and I would, whenever I'd go home to Orange County, I would go see her for Reiki sessions. And then I eventually learned how to actually do Reiki myself. So you can be attuned to different levels and different energies to then practice on yourself and practice on others. And Reiki has changed my life. It is such a beautiful practice and it's so, it's subtle, but I would say that was really one of the biggest things that helped me through that, that time. Yeah. And I have to say props to your mom. Mm -hmm. She sounds like so progressive and just like (laughs) cool, especially for the time. Because to your point, I don't feel like a lot of these wellness practices that, you know, those of us who are a little bit familiar with the wellness industry, like Reiki, we've heard of. But at the time, I'm sure that was like a little bit out there and different for people out there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even really know what it was, but it just made me feel really great. And the other thing too, you know, I think what's nice about where wellness is headed now is Instagram has made it well, Instagram's done two things. On one end, it's made, in many ways, it's made wellness feel like something that's not approachable or that you need to spend a lot of money to be well, or you need to have all of the things to be well. But it's also opened up a platform for people to share their struggles and the way that 
perhaps wellness like hasn't served them. So whether it's having issues with food or over-exercising or anxiety, mental health, things like that, it's made us feel like, you know, we're not alone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, eight years ago when I was struggling with this, it was something that I didn't know that other people struggled with. You know, I just thought I'm this crazy person that's like obsessed with counting calories and losing weight. And I don't think any of my friends feel this way. I must be a complete psychopath. And so I think it's really nice now that wellness has built up this community of support that people can, can use to understand that they're not the only ones that feel this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and I'd love to touch on, you made a point to say, um, that, you know, Instagram has created well or turned wellness into this unattainable spending lots of money. So I'd love to get your take on what you do in your daily practice of not spending a lot of money, but keeping um, yourself sane and present um, and well, what are some of your tips? I'm a big routine person. So uh, I do pretty <laughs> much the same thing every single morning. Um, I, I'm naturally an early riser just from my water polo years. I'm used to being in a pool really early. So mm. honestly, I'm normally up between five and six. Um, mm. And I like to give myself a lot of time in the morning. So I hate being rushed. I spent years, you know, giving myself 15 minutes to throw my bathing suit and get to the pool. And that just doesn't serve me. So I set my alarm and I give myself an hour before I need to be anywhere, which again, I know it sounds crazy, but um, it just really gives me starting the day rush just starts the day off on the wrong foot. And I feel like everything else just, it's like a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah. Just talked about that. Yeah. I was just talking about the <laughs> fact that my husband will wait like five minutes before we're going to leave and like start sprinting around, grabbing everything. <laughs> and it stresses me out to no end. So oh I my gosh. Yeah. It gives me so much anxiety. Same. <laughs> Yeah. So I use that hour to do, do a couple of things. So I do the standard like warm lemon and water. It just really helps my digestive system in the morning. Um, I make a cup of coffee and then I really like Headspace. So I use Headspace, which is a meditation app for 10, 15 minutes or so. And um, then I do have, I do have a red light, which I'm absolutely obsessed with. Um, it's, it's by this company called Juve and I just, I'm obsessed with it. It helps, it helps with metabolism, detoxification. It has two different types of lights. So one, it goes internal and affects your organs. And another one is great for skin and collagen production. So while I'm meditating in the morning, I normally will sit with that on my stomach or on my back. And then I'll do a little bit of journaling and then make a bulletproof coffee and get in a workout. So I like to do boxing. There are some really great boxing classes here in LA or I live close to the ocean. So I'll just go run on the beach or do like sprints and lunges and squats on the beach, which is a beautiful place to work out. So it's, it normally takes me about an hour to get to the point where I can, like where I do go do a workout, but that first hour is so important for my mental clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that, and I'm kind of like you, I love to start the day a little bit earlier, but just giving yourself that time to kind of ease in or 
do something for you, whatever that looks like, I think is just so key to setting the tone for your entire day, especially Mm -hmm. when we're all so busy. I feel like we're always all running around and crazy. So that first hour I think is so key. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I, I mean, for years that like the morning was a very stressful time and in that I needed to fit in my workout. And that was the only thing that was important. And what I've learned and what I've noticed a huge difference in is again, like my mental performance and starting a company and, you know, all of the ins and outs that go along with that it takes a lot of brain energy and there are a lot of decisions that you're making and really important micro decisions that you're making every day that determine the course of what it is that you're building and be present for investors and meetings, employees, your teammates. That is so important to me. And I've noticed a huge difference in how I think and my ability to access my thoughts it's so improved by having a morning routine and getting in a sweat session. So it's no longer about, you know, I've got to get up and meditate and then get in my workout so that I can, you know, you know, eat 10 more crackers or something like that, or lose the extra five pounds. It's not about that. It's instead, how am I showing up for my day? And the best way for me to show up for my day is by following this routine. And to that end too, like I, I do love the whole world of like biohacking and all that stuff. So I'll like totally nerd out on different modalities in that way. Um, I find that really fun, but that's not like core to what I do every single day. Right. Yeah. Same. I love exploring the biohacking world. Um, But you mentioned, this is like a great transition now. You mentioned your business. So let's get into that portion of your life. So um you were brainstorming with your your co-founder Sunny. How did that go from kind of the idea brewing to implementation to where it is now? Yeah, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, I <laughs> bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it is the most, I mean, that that moment, Sunny and I meeting was one of the most like serendipitous moments of my life. Um, I was health coaching at the time and then doing some consulting for, for two startups in, in San Francisco around health and wellness. And I was looking for different ways to have a broader reach in the world of health and wellness. I loved working one-on-one with my clients, but that doesn't scale. And so when Sunny reached out to me and he posed this question around designing a product that was post-workout geared towards women and knowing what I knew about my clients, it was, it was something that was, it was really interesting to me. And I was like, I think you've really hit on something. Let me go home. Let me do some research. Let me talk to some of my personal trainer friends and clients and sort of make sure there's a need and then start to think about what this product would actually look like and how do we position it and what are the ingredients? And so Sunny and I spent a month or two on the phone almost every day. And mind you, I had just met him. I'd never met this guy in my life. And I kind of knew his fiance. Um, <laughs> cool, but it was just like, we both had such a passion and excitement for the world of wellness, but not only that, just to serve the people that were asking us for this product. And I think that's what's so different about Apre is that it wasn't like Sunny and I woke up one day and went, we're going to be beverage entrepreneurs because we see this huge opportunity to make a ton of money. It was more like my clients asking me for something like this, Sunny Mm -hmm. and her friends asking for something like this. And then the two of us taking our very complimentary backgrounds and saying, Hey, we think we're the people that can do this. 
And so, you know, Sonny and I are a great team because he comes, he's a former management consultant. He's so incredibly smart. He's great at strategy and finance and all of the things that I'm, you know, I wasn't classically trained in. I don't have an MBA. Um, I majored in Spanish and peace and conflict studies. So oh, wow. and, <laughs> yeah, not my thing, but what I understand is I understand this customer and how to speak to her and yeah. I, the branding and the wording and the positioning and the sales, all of that. That's my, that's my forte. And so we just found that we really clicked, but it was, it was difficult. We kind of thought that we could take some ingredients and put them in a bottle with some water and shake it up and call it a beverage. Uh And that is not the case, especially with the way that Opre is designed. I mentioned earlier on that the ingredients are really different from anything else out there. But not only that, so it's it's packaged in something that's called it. It's called a Tetra Pack, and so what's great about a Tetra Pack is one, it's recyclable, which was really important to us. We didn't want to go plastic. We just feel like plastic's kind of on the way out. Yes. And then two, it allows the product to be shelf stable. And by shelf stable, meaning it doesn't need to be refrigerated, and it has a shelf life of twelve to fourteen months. Yeah, that's so huge. That's crazy. It's crazy. And it does that without any weird additives or anything like that. And so we knew that was how we needed to build this product, but it just made it that much more difficult to actually make it happen. And most like most food and beverage companies get to kind of test and iterate with small batches of their product. And, you know, they make a thousand bottles and they give them to friends and mm. That isn't the way that Opre was built because it couldn't be. So the minimum order quantities for our product are like 15 to 20,000 units per SKU. And so you don't mess around with that. And so we had to spend a year and a half in R&D making this product perfect, perfect, perfect. So that when we actually put it in the Tetra Pak to sell, we knew it would be ready to go. So Sunny and I had actually sold almost probably $15,000 worth of Opre before we'd actually even seen it in like the actual packaging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. And I, I just wanted to point out, I love that you talked about, you know, the purpose behind the brand in general. I think one thing that Beck and I have been able, you know, to discern a little bit as we've recorded on the podcast the past year is just kind of pitches from brands where you're like, "Mm, I feel like you're in it just to make a buck Mm -hmm. and not for like the greater purpose or like a greater mission behind it. So I love hearing, you know, that it was kind of like, there's a problem first that you were trying to solve for your clients. And that's why you, you know, started this company. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to have that because it's, it's so difficult to do this for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't a greater purpose or a greater mission for you, or just that the mission of the company doesn't align with your own personal mission, then the late nights and the long hours and the lack of pay and all of those things just, I I mean, they wear on you after a while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You definitely need something at the end of the day that you can look to and say, okay, this is why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I've I've never had my own business before, so I can only imagine what that's like in the startup phases of like, is this going to work? Is this going to be okay? Are people actually going to like this? I mean, so many questions, I feel like. So um, how did you find the support in your relationships, whether it be your husband, your uh, business partner, your friendships to keep going and not feel like you were missing out on other things in your life? Mm. Yeah, my well, my husband's amazing. He's been so supportive throughout this whole process and at times has been my therapist, which is which is great to an extent. But what I've done is I've I've really worked hard to build a support system of other female founders or just like working women that yeah. I can lean on in like these difficult times and I'm shameless when it comes to reaching out. I've been known to DM anyone that I think looks interesting or cool on Instagram to see if they want to get a cup of coffee. I'm constantly connecting with people on LinkedIn. I mean, when we're not in the middle of crazy fundraising and things like that, my goal is always to get a cup of coffee with someone new every week, which sounds aggressive, but I can't tell you how rewarding and supportive it's been for me to connect with other women that are going through the same thing. And having just moved to LA six months ago from San Francisco, you know, I don't have a big network down here. So I kind of had to start from scratch and I've been able to immerse myself into, you know, different events and groups of women that are incredibly supportive, especially from a founder perspective. So I'm always just putting myself in uncomfortable situations to try and meet as many people as possible because that support system is invaluable. It totally is. And I give you all the credit because I know how hard it is. Like I'm sure, especially around running a business, like even with our full-time jobs, it's a struggle sometimes to fit in, you know, coffee or even dinner. So all the credit to you for doing that once a week. Yeah. And it's, it can be hard to even find the energy sometimes. And that's, that's another big piece of, you know, the mental performance is like the energy that you then create. And I, I think about this quote all the time. It's that, you know, you don't have energy, you create energy. Brendan Burchard said that. I love Brendan Burchard. He's, if, if you two aren't familiar with him, he's or anyone is not familiar with him. He's a mm. genius. Um, he's written a couple of books and he's like a professional speaker. And I, that just really resonated with me because I, you know, I, for a while was feeling very, very tired, was, was having trouble like showing up in my day with the energy that I wanted. And then I read that and it's like, you have full control. You have the full ability to take your energy level from a six to a 10 like that. Mm-hmm. You don't need an extra cup of coffee or extra sleep. It's all mental. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I definitely have felt periods where I'm low energy. Um, And yeah, I I do feel like there's something to putting yourself around other people who have a higher vibe at the time. And I feel like they kind of raise you up, which is amazing. Um, One thing you mentioned that I don't want to lose is fundraising. And I'm Mm -hmm fascinated by the process a but then also too I would love to hear about your experience if you it sounds like you've done it but especially mm-hmm. um you know as the female co-founder with um, a male co-founder and just how you kind of go into a pitch or how you handle that would love to hear anything you're willing to share 
Yeah, I had never fundraised before this. I had zero experience. And I actually, one of my first fundraising experiences, so we've raised a couple rounds now. Um, and the very first one we did was like a friends and family round. So you kind of go to your closest network of, of people that know you and pitch them in your idea. And this is before you've even seen Opre in the flesh. And it's really a bet on us two as founders. Mm-hmm. And so we had an amazing opportunity to pitch like one of the most well-renowned venture capital firms in San Francisco and this woman that I've looked up to for years and um, was just totally awestruck that she'd even take a meeting with us. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I'm so lucky in that my co-founder, Sonny, is, he's very eloquent and like just understands he had done this before in a way. And so he had some experience and I just went in totally blind and completely flopped. I didn't know how to, (laughs) it was horrible. I, I ended up, I cried my whole way home. I just felt so defeated because I was so passionate about what we were building, but I had such a hard time articulating it to someone that had never been exposed to our prey before. And that's really what, I mean, fundraising is about this. It's like the story that you tell and how excited you are about, about what you're building and what that traction looks like within your community. And so we were, we were so early on and I was completely defeated by this, this fundraising moment, but I went home and I wrote down the questions that she'd asked me. And then I wrote down the way that I should have answered them. And I kid you not, I made my husband practice with me so that I could answer these questions. And, you know, I wasn't perfect the next time or the next time or the time after that when we were pitching, but I got better and better at telling our story. And now it's something that I I work on a lot. I, I care a lot about how I sound and how I articulate the things that I say and the story that I tell about Opre, but I've practiced it for three years. Yeah. And so the fundraising process is, is challenging in that, you know, you're trying to find the right fit for your company because it's, it really is like a marriage and we're so lucky. We've found some amazing, amazing partners, but you go through the process and there are inevitably, there are a lot of no's and it's not just a no because that's perhaps some people don't believe in the idea, but then for other people, it's just, it's not the right timing. Um, It's not the space that they typically invest in. Um, There are a number of reasons that you get no's, but it's really defeating, especially when you're trying to hire people, you're doing everything yourself. And, you know, you're in this sort of catch 22 where you need money, but you don't have the money to hire people but then you need to spend time fundraising, but you don't have the time. And so it's just this really difficult vortex. And so I feel really lucky to have a co-founder. I think solo founders are incredible. I'm not sure how they do it, but to have a co-founder that, that, you know, sort of balances out that process and can help me be strong where I'm weak and vice versa has been really helpful. Yeah. What a testament to, and thank you for sharing kind of the ups and downs of the process, because I think so many times we see these amazing founders and the way they talk about their journey is sometimes like, oh yeah, so we decided to start this company, we got fundraising and now we're here and we're so successful and it has been great the whole way through. So thank you for sharing kind of that, you know, the struggle of the first time pitching the idea. And even though you believed in it so much and you loved it so much. 
sometimes we just, we're not experienced and we need that practice, like you said. So I think that's so important to share with our listeners that it's not just like a one and done thing. Yeah. You get oh, no, the to practice and make it better and improve on yourself and be self-reflective in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, a big piece of it too is confidence. And mm-hmm. that's something I've, I've struggled with through this process. I mean, I'm so grateful that I mean, if I look back to the woman that I was three years ago, to the woman that I am now, there's been such a huge improvement, but that's because I've had, I've worked really, really hard to, to get here. And there's still a ton of room for improvement, but, um, you know, the, the confidence piece is something that I've really, I've really had to work at and I've done a number of different like meditations and, and work to really dig in around why I, why I don't feel confident in certain areas. And like one in particular is, you know, I majored in Spanish. I was, my intention post-college was to go into the Peace Corps. Um, I, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I don't have an MBA. And there are many times where I've felt a little bit underwater in this whole process. Like, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, is, am I smart enough to be here? Am I smart enough to do this? And I've questioned myself in that a lot. And so I've had to retrain the way that I think and really pump myself up throughout this process to say, yes, I deserve to be here. I, I work hard and, you know, this is going to be a success. And I, I also have a right to speak up and say what I think. And that, that was very difficult for me for some time, but I've, I've learned and I'm still learning. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, regardless of confidence, just the fact that you're proud of all of the, you know, who you're becoming and it's because of the work you've put in, because I think there's something you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of think that just with age and with more years, you eventually become this like magical person that you've all, <laughs> that you've always dreamed. And it's just like really refreshing to hear you say like, no, I've put it in the work and that's why I'm changing for the better. As simple as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the work is necessary. You've got to do the work and some work that I've been doing recently is around it's, I call it like shadow work but it's around that thing that's holding you back that perhaps it's even just a moment that happened when you were really young in elementary school that you really don't even remember or um, just different things that have happened throughout your life that have affected the way that you think about yourself nowadays. And so I've done a lot of work digging in really deep there to try and figure out what those triggers are and then what I can do to really rewire them and not feel that way now as, you know, an adult woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And I think just the whole pathway that you've shared with us has been, has been really enlightening. And I think hopefully the people who are listening, who are thinking about, you know, entrepreneurship can get a little bit of hope and a little bit of um, advice from this podcast. I think you've shared a lot of really really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And can you share, I don't know if you have any exciting things coming up for Opre, but would love to share anything that anything new or exciting that you guys have coming up. Oh, we have so many exciting things coming up. Like Ooh. 
Yeah, I, I can't, I really can't say more than that, but the end of this year and early next year are going to be so wild and exciting. And um, yeah, that's all I can say, but stay tuned. Yeah, definitely. We will. We will be yeah. chomping at the bit waiting for the announcements to come out. Um, and thank you again for, I mean, we had, um, for those of you who were not our LA event, we had um, Apre at the event. And I think it was a huge hit. I think it was gone by the time it some was. People... I didn't even get one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I was managed. I managed to sneak a um, chocolate sea salt, which is so freaking good, <laughs> amazing. Thank um, thank so you. thank you again, and it was so good to meet you there. I was as soon as we saw you, we we're like, oh my gosh, who is this angel walking <laughs> among us? <laughs> <laughs> you are so sweet. Thank you so much. This was super fun. Yeah, of course. So, um, for our listeners, where can they find you? I pray all of it. Yeah. So uh, drinkapre.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-A-P-R-E-S.com. And it's the same um, at drinkapre on Instagram. And then I'm also at Darby Jackson on Instagram. Perfect. Um, and as always, you can find us at Detox and Chill Podcast. Um, We have some exciting things coming up, so stay tuned for that. Um, If you have any comments, questions, slide into those DMs. We'll get back (laughs) to you. Um, We love hearing from you and hearing your feedback, um, and we hope you have a great week.